Thank you for joining us today. At ResLife, our mission is to develop committed followers of Jesus Christ to reach the world. Our content is created to equip and empower you in God's purpose. We hope you enjoy this message. Today, we're going to continue talking about temptations, tests, trials, and deserts. I want to go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, which says, No temptation is overtaken you except such as is common to man. In other words, the temptation that you feel, uh, when, when it comes, you can think, I'm the only one who's ever felt like this. Nobody else has ever had this desire. Nobody else has ever felt the pressure that I feel. No one else has ever been drawn to something like this. But the Bible says it's common. In other words, the devil does not have a bunch of new tricks, right? He's, he, he may present it in a different way with technology, but it's the same things he's been doing for the last 6,000 years, right? It's common. Within five miles of this place right now, there are 10,000 people that have felt everything you've ever felt and been tempted in exactly the same ways that you've been tempted. And we tend to think, no, I got this VIP temptation. Nobody else has ever had it. But that is not true. But God is faithful, it says, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able. In other words, the fact that the temptation comes is proof that God has examined it and says they can have victory. They can overcome that temptation. Uh, sometimes I wish God didn't have so much confidence in me. Right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? But God said, if it's here, if it's there, you've got it. He said, it's because I know that you can overcome that temptation. Now, a few of the things we've already talked about. One is the fear of the Lord. Now, the fear of the Lord is not like to, to, to fear and tremble and hide. It is a reverential fear. Right? But the Bible says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. And the fear of the Lord is to turn away from evil. And I believe in our society today, we are truly lacking the fear of the Lord. Right? Because when we have that fear, the fear of the Lord, we hate evil and we turn away from evil. Uh, Nehemiah is, is uh, governor of, of uh, the area in, in Israel, what we would call Israel today, particularly the area around Jerusalem. And he says, I gave responsibility of governing Jerusalem to my brother, for he was a faithful man who feared God more than most. Who feared God more than most. He's going to give authority, political authority, governing authority. And he says, I need somebody who fears God. Because when we have politicians who have no fear of God, when there's no fear of God, anything is acceptable. Right? But the fear of the Lord is a reverential fear. That's what the Bible tells us in uh, 1 John chapter 3, that when we have the hope of Jesus coming again, right, it says you purify yourself. When you know you're going to stand before God someday and you're going to give an account for the things that you have done, right? that's why, why Jesus said, you know, to hold fast what you have. Let no one take your crown. That's why the Bible tells us to see that you receive a full reward, a full reward for the things that you do. Because there are, there are things we can let into our lives 
that literally uh, subtract from what we would be receiving from God. So we all need the fear of God and we need the grace of God. Now, the grace of God is not God just saying, it's all right, whatever you do. That's what a lot of people think grace is. I can do anything and it's just all right. But the Bible says in the book of Titus chapter two, the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches us to say no. The grace of God is an empowering teaching grace that teaches us to say no to ungodly and worldly desires, right? And it is an enabling thing that the grace of God enables us, right? Now, I believe with all my heart, we need to pray, all right, that God give us the fear of the Lord. Now, there's things that you can do to develop the fear of the Lord, but we aren't going to talk about those. But one of the things you can do is pray for the fear of the Lord. And the same thing when it comes to grace. Pray that God give us grace. And notice that the apostle Paul, when it came to grace, he actually spoke it as a blessing. He said, grace and peace to you. And he spoke that. And and I believe it's something that we need today. We need the fear of the Lord and we need grace. Grace that teaches us to say no and enables us to say no to ungodly, worldly desires and passions. Now, Psalms 100, verse 2. I've got the ESV version here. It says, I will ponder the way that is blameless. Oh, when will you come to me? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will not set before my eyes anything that is worthless. I hate the works of those who fall away. It will not cling to me. A perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out in this verse. Notice he said, I will know nothing of evil. One of the things that the devil does is he comes and he'll tempt you. And this is how he'll tempt you. He says, you know, you ought to just check it out. You you ought to try it. You, 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 You ought to do it and then you'll know. Right Now, what he says is he says, that's not going to happen. He said, I will know nothing of evil. You know, God doesn't, he says, you know, when it comes to spiritual things, be wise. But when it comes to worldly things, he says, be innocent. Now, the devil will say, you just try it. Now, as I mentioned before last week, one of the dangers in trying sin is that you'll like it. I'm going to say it again. You try sin and you'll like it. Now, this is how salvation works. When you receive Jesus... He comes into your heart, or technically, your spirit. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, if anyone is in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, it's not talking about your head, because when you get saved, you don't get a new brain. You don't get a new soul, right? You get a new heart. What God does is he does in your heart. Right? You become a new person on the inside in your spirit. Your body does not become new. If you come to Jesus and you're 30 pounds overweight, you don't instantly lose 30 pounds. Right? In fact, your body has the same desires it had before you came to Jesus. Your body did not get saved. In fact, technically, what happens when you become a Christian your spirit gets saved. 
Your soul or your mind is in a process of being saved. It's not saved, right? James is writing to Christians in James chapter one, verse 21. He says, and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your soul, which is able to save your soul. So your soul is not saved yet, but the word of God, when you receive it, is able to save your soul. Or we can say it another way, change the way you think. So your spirit was saved. Your mind should be in a process of being saved and your body will get saved when Jesus comes back. Romans 7 verse 23 says the law of sin abides in your members or in your body. Your body is just your body is just as crazy as it ever was. You listen to your body, you are going to be a mess. So he said, I will know nothing of evil. You see, you let your body dominate your life. You let your body dictate what you're going to do. And you will give yourself to things you shouldn't give yourself to. In fact, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9, I believe it's verse 27. It's the last verse. He said, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. Least after I've preached to others, I myself could become disqualified. So this is Paul. Paul wrote 13 of the 27 books in our New Testament. Right? Paul went to heaven, came back and talked to Jesus and came back. He is, he is the greatest apostle the church has ever seen. And this is what Paul said. He says, I've got problems with my body. He said, I discipline it. Now, notice what he said. I, spirit, discipline it, my body. Your body is not you. You got that? Your body is it. In fact, just talk, look at your body and go it. It's it. It's not you. All right. It is the house that you, spirit, live in. And if you will let your body dominate your life, you will be a mess. Right? I, I remember talking to Pastor uh, Merle uh, several years ago, and Matt, Pastor Merle made this statement. He said, we, we were talking about a certain individual, and he said, if they tried to mess their life up, if they said, in the next five years, I'm going to make every dumb decision I could possibly make, he said, they could not make as big a mess of their life as they've made. Now, literally what they were doing was they're just letting their body decide what they do. Now, Paul said, I, my spirit, I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection. In other words, your spirit is supposed to have dominion over your body. And if you will listen to your body, this is what Paul said. Remember, almost half the New Testament went to heaven, greatest apostle. He said, if I listen to my body, I would be disqualified. He said, I discipline it. You say, what does that mean? He's saying, I've, I'm, literally what he's saying is I fast. I take time and I give myself to spiritual things and I say no when my body wants to eat. Right? And what happens is your spirit rises up to a place of authority. Right? And you, you take dominion over your body. Many people that are Christians, their body runs their life. Their body runs their life. And Paul's saying, your body is not supposed to run your life. He says, your spirit needs to take authority over it. All right. So then he says, I will set nothing before my eyes that's worthless. It will not 
cling to me. Other translations say, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. It will not cling to me. I want you to listen very carefully. What you see creates desire. Right? He said, you, you see it and it clings to you. Right? I can remember going over to a friend's house when I was 10 years old. Went into their parents' bedroom. He climbed up in the closet, brought down some magazines. And I saw something I'd never seen before, and I can still picture it in my mind. That's 10 years old. Okay? That's 58 years ago. It clings to you. Right? Now, beyond that, it creates desire. What you see creates desire. Right? Ezekiel 23, 14. But she increased her harlotry. She looked at men portrayed on the wall, images of Chaldeans. Now, th this is Old Testament pornography. Right? She looked at the images and it increased desire. It increased desire when she looked at those images. Uh, a man looks at some porn, sees things he hadn't seen before. Unnatural things, by the way. They're paying some woman thousands of dollars to do this. All right? and then he goes home and he says to his wife, he says, this is what I want you to do. This is what I want you to do. All right? What happened? He saw something and it created desire. We're, 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 we're at, I think we're at epidemic proportions when it comes to kids. Right? They, get on, they get on a device. They see bisexual activity. They see homosexual activity. And all of a sudden, it creates desire. It creates desire. Right? Um, what, you, what you look at, you, you move in that direction. Right? And uh, the, 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 the psalmist said, look, I will put nothing wicked before my eyes. He said, it won't cling to me. He said, the thing that I see there he said, it's going to cling to me. It's going to create desire on the inside of me. The things that you look at determine the direction that you go. Um, this may not be the best example in the world, but it was the only one I could think of. Oh, probably 30, 30 years ago, maybe a little, yeah, about 30 years ago. Uh, several times we, uh, for vacation, we went to the, the state of Wyoming. We took our tent and we took our mountain bikes, right? And uh, particularly Josh and Samuel at that time, they were, they were feeling their oats, right? And there were these trails. You could go for miles and miles and miles in these trails, right? So I'd be out there, I'm leading the way, right? Until we get to a downhill. And these kids have no sense, no fear, all right? And I mean, we're up on the mountains and some of these downhills, they're like a mile, mile and a half. And I remember we start on this downhill and they are gone. I mean, like they're gone. I cannot see them anywhere. You know, and it's kind of these switchbacks and I'm trying to go as fast as I can. I'm going to, I'm catching up to these kids. You know? And I remember this particular, particular kind of switchback corner and there was this stone there. And I thought, I'm not going to hit that stone. Right? So I'm looking at that stone. You know what I hit, don't you? I hit the stone, you know, because that, well, I, was, I was not wanting to hit the stone. 
So I was looking at the stone and I hit the stone. I wiped out. They had to come and get me. And I mean, I, I was, I like messed up my wrist for like two or three years on that, on that one wipeout, right? But the, 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 the direction you're looking, right, is the direction you're going. He said, I will set nothing wicked before my eyes. It will not cling to me. And notice he's saying, the place I want to start is my house. He says, I want to start at home. Uh, when, when Moses is called by God to go and deliver the Israelites, the Bible says that on the way to, to Egypt, God sought to kill him. And the reason God sought to kill Moses, listen, was because he was going to deliver the covenant people, but he didn't have the sign of the covenant in his own family. The sign of the covenant was circumcision. And once his children were circumcised, the Bible says, well, God accepted him. God let him go, right? Again, in, in Psalms 103, the, it says, a perverse heart shall be far from me. I will know nothing of evil. Don't let the devil tell you, try it, experiment, then you'll know. Because the Bible says it clings to you. In another place in Proverbs, it says that sin has cords. You know, it, like it wraps a cord around your ankle when you give yourself to it. Now, if you have a Bible, even if you, you, you've got a device with you, it would be worthwhile for you to look at Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Now, these two verses are the most important two verses anywhere in the Bible that have to do with living a victorious Christian life. What is a believer supposed to do? Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I'm going to start with the first verse, and I'm going to use the Amplified Classic. It says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brethren, and beg you in view of all the mercies of God to make a decisive decision, or excuse me, a decisive dedication of your bodies. A decisive dedication of your bodies, presenting all of your members and faculties as a living sacrifice holy, devoted, consecrated, and well-pleasing to God, which is your reasonable service and spiritual worship. Your reasonable service and your spiritual worship. Now, we tend to think of worship as, you know, I'm lifting my hands to the Lord. I'm singing to the Lord. Maybe I get on my knees or, or I kneel down. And you say, that's worship. Now, the Bible is saying that when you present your body to God and say, God, I give you all my body. I give you the members and faculties of my body. I present them to you. I'm going to use my body to serve you and you only. The Bible says that is spiritual worship. Right? Now, it says you need to make a decisive decision. And it is a one-time decision, like repentance, that you repeat every day, right? I, I don't do this every day, but probably 80% of the time before I get out of bed in the morning, I present my body to God, right? It, it's something not that we do one time, but we do do it one time, but we do it again and again and again. How many of you know to receive Jesus as Lord is easy and living as if he's Lord is difficult every day? 
right? And presenting your body to God, right? In all of its members and say, God, my body today, I'm going to use my body to serve you. And I'm going to use my body to worship you today. And I'm going to let the spirit of God lead me today. The Bible tells us it's something that we're supposed to do every day. We make a decisive decision once, but it's not just a one-time thing. It's something we do again and again and again. Now, notice what it says. It says you present it as a living sacrifice. Now, normally, when you're going to sacrifice an animal, right, you kill it. And then you put it on the altar, and it's burned to God. But the Bible says what you and I are to do is we're to present our bodies to God as a living sacrifice. In other words, you present yourself to God. You say you, you present your body, but then your body is not cooperating. Your body is going, no, I want to do that. But you, the spirit on the inside, are saying, shut up. We are not going to do that. Remember, Paul said, I, the spirit, Discipline my body, I bring it into subjection. You see, the real you that lives on the inside, where the life of God is, the part of you that's been made new, needs to dominate your life. That's what Paul is saying happened. He said, I discipline it, all right? I don't let it, my body, run my life, all right? I'm in fact, I want everybody to look at your body a minute and go, it. It's not you, it's it. It's the house that the real you is living inside of. And the real you is supposed to take dominion over it. Right? You tell it what to do. Don't let it tell you what to do. Right? So you're going to be a living sacrifice. So your body is going to be screaming and saying, but I want to. And you say, shut up. No. We are not going to do that. Or I am not going to do that. The real you is to take dominion over your body. And then verse two, first you present your body, right? Verse two, don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Let God change the way you think. Now, the second part of this verse in some of your translations it will say it this way, but be changed by the renewing of your mind or be transformed. Uh, the word transform there is the word that uh, we get our word metamorphosis from. Right? Now, it's a picture of a caterpillar that turns into a butterfly. Right? God's just saying, hey, we're going to change you, but the way we're going to change you is going to be by changing the way that you think. Again, James 1, chapter, James 1, verse 21, but receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to change. The King James says, save your soul, your mind. It can save your mind. See, when you become a Christian, your mind does not get saved. Your soul does not get saved. Your spirit gets saved. Now, we often say that so many souls were saved, and people understand that, but technically that's not true. Their soul didn't get saved. Their mind got saved. And James writes to Christians, and he said, the word of God, when you receive it, is able to save your soul. 
That's why David said in Psalms 119 verse 128, he said, I consider your precepts, your word, concerning all things to be right. And then he said, and I hate every false way. Every way that disagrees with what God says, it's a false way. So God is right about how to raise your children. He's right about how to honor or love your spouse. God's right about forgiveness. He's right about how to handle your money. Every, every area, he's right. And so the Bible says what we need to do is we need to change the way that we think. And when we change the way we think, we'll change the way we behave and the way we live. Uh, several years ago, at the close of a service, um, like I very often do, I was standing around and praying with some people and talking to a couple of people. And, and there was a man who waited about four or five rows back, standing in the aisle. And you could tell he was waiting till everybody left. You know, and he was the last person he came up in. And by the time he got to me, there were, there were tears in his eyes. And he said, uh, Pastor, he said, uh, I'm committing adultery. He said, I, I've been committing adultery for two years. He said, uh, I don't even enjoy it. He said, but I can't quit. He said, and I just want you to pray for me that I'll quit. And, and I said, well, I said, I could pray for you, but it won't do any good. Now, I, I said that for two reasons. Number one, it's true. You see, you, you, there are people that have had the same, same addiction that are Christians for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, and more. And they prayed about it. But the Bible doesn't say you change the way you live by praying. It says you change the way you live by changing the way you think. It says don't be like the world, but be changed or be transformed by changing the way you think. All right? So I said to him, I said I could, but it just wouldn't do much good. And again, I said it because it's true, and I said it to shock him. You know? And, uh, and he was kind of like, what, what do you mean? Well, I said, Romans 12, 2 says, you change by changing the way that you think. I said, I'll pray for you. I says, but this is what you need to do. And I remember distinctly saying to him, first of all, he said, you need to read Proverbs chapter 5 and Proverbs chapter 7 every single day. Now, for those who don't know, those are the two chapters that talk about sexual purity in the, in the Bible, how to be pure and the results of not being pure. And then I said something to the effect of this. I said, uh, and every, every week you need to read the story of Samson, what sexual impurity cost Samson. And every week you need to read about David committing adultery with Bathsheba and the results of his committing adultery with Bathsheba. I said, now, if you'll do that, I said, I believe God's word will change the way that you think. And if God's word changes the way you think, you'll be transformed. You will change the way you live because you've changed the way you believe. And then I prayed for him that God would give him revelation as he read his word. See, so often we think the easiest thing, I just pray and it'll change. No, the Bible says the way that we change is by changing the way that we think. And literally, God gave us the Bible to change the way that we think. God says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, and my ways are not your ways. 
Like the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. But then he goes on and he talks about how to get his thoughts. And he talks about his word, that his word that came down from heaven, right? That when it's planted, it will not return void, right? What it'll literally do, it'll go down inside us, right? When we receive that word with meekness and it changes the way that we think. When you read the Bible, you are not reading the thoughts of Moses and Joshua and Peter and Paul and John. Because the Bible is God-breathed. It is God speaking to you and to me. And when we read the Word of God, we're reading God's thoughts. right? And, and when, when we receive those thoughts, it changes the way that we think. It changes the way we think. You go to the store and you buy any book, you're reading the thoughts of the author of that book. But when you read the Bible, you're reading the thoughts of the author of that book. And the author is God. He says, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, literally to teach us how to live, right? To teach us how to live. So we need to to take our bodies and present our bodies to God. And say, God, I'm presenting, I'm dedicating my body to you. And again, it's something you do once, but it's not just a one-time thing. Do it again and again and again. And say, God, today, I'm going to serve you with my body, with my desires. I'm going to serve you. And then we change the way that we think, right? By taking the word of God and accepting the word of God as truth. The Bible says in James that it's engrafted. Uh, if you know much about horticulture, if, a, if somebody has an orchard and they're going to engraft something, What they do is they go and they cut something else out, right? They cut something out, and then they put the new branch in, right? And they will carefully tape it or or, or put it into that old branch, right? And then it grows. But you notice you take something out in order to put the new in. And the same thing, that's why David said, you know, your ways, your precepts, your word concerning all things are right, and I hate every false way, every way that disagrees with God, we need to cut it out and we need to engraft the word of God into our lives. Say, would you bow your heads for just a moment? First Father, I pray right now for every one of us. And I pray, Father, that you would grant us the fear of the Lord, that you would give us, God, your grace, your grace that teaches us about your will, your grace that enables us to live godly and holy lives. And I pray, Father, that the word that has been sown into our hearts this morning, I pray, Lord, that it will bring forth fruit in each and every one of our lives. So often, we we know about God and we think, well, I believe in God. I believe Jesus came. I believe he died. I believe that he rose again. Doesn't that make me right with God? It's the first step. But there's something else that is extremely important. In John chapter 1, in verse 12, it says, To as many as receive him, to them he gives the right 
to become the children of God. It's not enough to know about God, to know about Jesus, but you've got to receive Jesus. You've got to receive him as your king, as your Lord. When the apostle Paul was asked about, how do I get right with God? He said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Give yourself up to him. Take yourself out of your own keeping and entrust yourself into his keeping and you will be saved. It's not enough to just know about him, but we need to give him our heart and give him our life. We need to receive him as our king, as our Lord. We need to begin to live our life for him. Now, if you're away from God today, you're, you're online, you're, you're here, we're gonna pray a prayer. And if you will pray this prayer from your heart, when we say amen in just a moment, you're gonna be right with God. So I'm gonna ask everybody to bow your head, but before you do, if you can, and you've came, came with somebody, would you please take their hand? If you're near somebody and you can take their hand, we're gonna pray this prayer together. And I want you to pray out loud to make the words Make them, make them your own. Make them from your heart. Just say, oh God, I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe his blood paid for my sins. And I believe he rose again. I give Jesus all of my heart and all of my life. I hold nothing back. I turn my back on my old life. I'm not living for myself any longer. I'm living for Jesus. And I thank you, you've heard my prayer, that I'm a part of your kingdom today and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope what you heard today has been encouraging and given you new insight into the Word of God. We upload weekly, so join us again next time. Be blessed and enjoy your week.